this is a Marketing for Learning podcast, the only podcast in the world that's guaranteed to increase your knowledge, skills, and capabilities when it comes to marketing for learning. Plus, there's a gratuitous amount of pineapples. You're welcome. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Marketing for Learning podcast. This is a bit of a different episode today because this is actually the recording of our Ask Us Anything live podcast, webinar, whatever you want to call it, that we did a couple of weeks ago. We had some audio issues throughout the podcast, so if you're watching this, you might see a couple of versions of me today um, because I am going to re-record the questions so that you can hear mine and Ashley's answers to the questions and you're not missing out even if you didn't manage to join us live. So without further ado, I'm going to jump straight in to the first Ask Us Anything question that we got. So the first Ask Us Anything question we got was about getting buy-in from the wider L&D team about marketing for learning. The question was, I'm part of a large L&D team. There's 14 of us globally, which is fantastic. We have a real variety across our team that really does make us more effective. But across the board, there's a huge lack of marketing strategy. Our marketing is always reactive rather than proactive. And there's a lack of variety in the way we communicate with our people. There's comms coming to our target audience from all directions, from other teams, internal comms and so on. But I just can't work out how to get buy-in from the rest of my team about marketing for learning. From my perspective, first of all, quite a big L&D team. I, I would maybe ask how aligned all of you guys are, um, you know, how bought in to marketing the team is as a whole. Uh, in our experience, there's maybe one or two like yourself who are really like, yeah, it's going to change everything. And the rest of them are just like, so maybe there needs to be, so there's kind of a couple of things from my perspective. Maybe one is how can you get everybody in the team on the same page, first of all, um, and maybe doing, you know, some of the stuff that we've suggested even on the podcast Doing, a, doing an exercise like the value proposition canvas as a workshop with your team and actually do that, you know, think about what you're offering to the business and what your learners want and need and some of the challenges, pain points, fears and issues that they have. It's a really useful exercise as a team because most of the time, if we ask l what do you actually offer to your employees? They can't readily answer it because it will be learning but that doesn't answer the what's in it for me and we know that in order to really engage our audiences and to connect with them we need to be communicating benefits over features and so maybe doing something like that would be a good starting point at least to engage and get the rest of your team on the same page um I think the second thing for me is at least focusing on the comms that you do do and making them the best possible. So for example, if you're just relying on LMS notifications, people are going to ignore them if they see them all the time. It will become banner blindness. They'll tune it out. They've seen it before, right? So it doesn't matter if the email contents is different. It feels very samey. So again, depending on the LMS that you've got, can you change subject line? Can you add an image in instead of something? It does depend. But, you know, I guess it... Variation is important, as you've rightly alluded to, but I think, you know, leaning too heavily on the LMS makes it seem like a learning thing straight away, whereas, you know, there's a lot more channels that you can 
use that you maybe haven't thought of, right? So uh, business partners that sit across the organization, managers, other leadership teams, um, individuals that actually have influence. Um, listen to the L'Oreal podcast if you haven't, because Caroline Fitzpatrick talks a lot about like she has like 16 channels or something there. And I was like, we don't even have 16 marketing channels, but she uses people a lot. And, you know, that they can be a really effective conduit for your message. So I would say start to look at how you can build relationships throughout the business that can help cascade your message, too. So rather than just relying on these kind of very static channels that, you know, you have like your all hands meetings, like your LMS notifications, those can be useful, but there needs to be a consideration in terms of what other cascades can happen. Um, and the only other thing I would say about that is think about how you can make that cascade as straightforward as possible. So, you know, can you create a one pager or two that focuses on, you know, the what's in it for me for managers? Why should managers be focusing on their teams developing? What benefits for them is there? Is it, you know, to make them look shit hot? Is their team's going to be more productive? Are they going to get a raise? I don't know, whatever. So just think about how you can actually articulate the value to them too and make it as easy as possible for them to support what it is that you're trying to accomplish. I don't know, I'm sure you have your your own thoughts, Han. Yeah, I, I also think there's a huge element. Obviously, I agree with everything Cash has said. You can also, if you're in a situation where you're kind of up against a bit of a blocker with, let's say, 12 of the team, 14, aren't so engaged with marketing, you can almost lead by example because you can run like a little test, like the most famous marketing quote all marketers giggle at is that we ask for forgiveness, not for permission. So what's stopping you putting out a post, advertising or promoting something you've got going on in your function, on your team's channels, on your intranet, or as you as an individual, and then seeing the uptake of that and then using that as evidence, like, look, actually, I did this piece of marketing and it really worked. It would work so much better if it came from a brand. It would go better if it was all of us trying to pitch in and think of the impact we can have there. Having that evidence to say, like, look, I've tried this. It's really worked. Let's try it and ramp it up even more. That normally gets people moving a lot more than hypotheticals because truthfully, you can get people to listen to the podcast. If they're a proper naysayer, they're going to be like, yeah, okay, of course, them two women would say that. Of course, they love marketing planning. It's their business. Of course, they'll say it. Kind of giving them the evidence of like, no, look, guys, this works. And obviously, we've got some case studies and stuff that you can use. But I've seen in my experience actually doing it yourself and showing, look, this worked for us in our organization. Let's make a snowball and make that even bigger. It works better in my experience. Yeah, you're kind of basing it in reality, aren't you? Yes. And absolutely, when it comes to marketing, you kind of, you need, if people don't agree with it, and this isn't just marketing for learning, this is marketing across the board, if people aren't engaged and aren't on board with it, the only way you can normally win them round is by proving them wrong. The second question we got on the podcast was much more about business mandates. And this is one we hear a lot from L&D. In our business, we have to face the reality of having to push business priorities, which may or may not resonate with the individuals that we're targeting. How can we tackle focusing on that while focusing on the what's in it for me? We can't use business mandates to sell learning. It doesn't work. I think, you know, ultimately, 
the reasons for creating learning experiences make sense from a business perspective. The business has identified skills gaps that you need to cover with your learning initiatives or, you know, upcoming future skills that you want to start to develop in your teams from a, you know, making you more recession proof, whatever it might be. Those are business mandates. That's the business saying we've identified learning needs either now or in the future that we know our employees need to have. You can't go and talk to your employees about that because that they don't care about that. They don't care that the business has identified cybersecurity as a critical skill that everyone needs to have. Mm, I don't care. I'm busy doing my marketing job. <laughs> I need to know yeah. about cybersecurity. So there has to be this process of translating a business need into the learner need, right? And so that's that process that we're talking about when you do the VPC, when you do your personas, is actually you start to translate a learning need into a learner need. And those two things are not the same. You know, what, what someone, how we're gonna create resonance with someone, how we're gonna connect with them with our marketing is absolutely never through the business mandate because there is nothing to connect with the learner. It will never answer the what's in it for me. There's no connection to emotional drivers. There is very little to motivate an individual to want to learn or to connect with your marketing if all you're going to do is talk about how great your learning is and why they should do it because the business wants them to. Cool. I don't know about you. Was that your thoughts? Very, very similar. But I also, I really, really, I'd love to have a heated debate with somebody that was adamant that they could not link a business mandate to something a learner wants to do. Ultimately, all of your people work for your organization nine times out of 10. I'm assuming that everyone's internal LD here. The reason your organization wants this business mandate to be pushed, let's, let's use the example Ash did of recession proof, will trickle back somehow to something that will get the end user moving. You just need to put the time and effort in to actually put like piece those two pieces together. You just have to join the dots between them. And it takes more time. And I do think. I don't want to annoy anyone by saying this, but I do think pushing business mandates is just a bit lazy. Yeah, well, like, let's look at it in simplest terms, right? When we used to work in-house, I'm certain we've both had conversations with our CEO who's like, well, we want to sell more of this e-learning product, right? Oh, gosh, push our off-the-shelf modules, right? We need to do a campaign about that. I'll tell you what, did, did any of our marketing ever say, my CEO told said we need to sell more of this? No, we no. sat and we thought, okay, well, what you know, what are the benefits of off the shelf? Okay, it's probably cheaper, it's more efficient, and you can have it straight away, score them, whatever. We sit and think about, okay, that's the need. We need to sell more crap, but we don't go to market with that message because that's we know that the audience is not gonna connect with that. The next question we got on the live podcast was one that we do talk about a lot. And that's how we handle stakeholders, CEOs, and other people that kind of stop us doing what we want to do. The question was, how do you handle a CEO who's very set on how they want you to communicate your learning offering, even down to the words they want you to use, which for the most part are completely unattainable because people don't understand them? It's challenging, I think, when senior leadership is is kind of not willing to deviate from that mindset because you're actually stuck in a very difficult culture to move away from and and you know I've again not exactly the same but when I worked in house I've worked for CEOs that are targeting marketing on goals that 
force us to be unproductive, basically. I won't go into the nuances of it, but essentially, you know, a lot of businesses are focused on lead volume, more leads. We need more leads, but leads don't make customers necessarily, but it creates a, a focus on things that don't move the needle, but satisfy the CEO. So, you know, I completely relate to how, how frustrating uh, that can be. And, and actually, when you know the right direction of travel, but you can't get there because you can't get uh, senior stakeholders involved it, it it does make your job very difficult yeah you just said something there about using terminology that the target audience don't understand and it reminded me of a call I literally had a few hours ago and um, I was talking to a couple of the people that have just finished a master class and they're doing their assignment now and they were saying oh, nobody knows what they use degreed when we say degreed nobody knows what we're talking about and I was like, oh, well, you get that a lot. Like I've got clients that I say what their learning platform's called and I get a blank look. And then when they see it, they're like, oh yeah, that thing, I went there once or twice. And they went to me, well, when we said the, the learning platform, everyone knew what it was. And I was like, well, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a way of marketing and thinking, using the voice of customer. You will see people talking about things that perhaps aren't a perfect definition of their product, but resonate with the target audience and I'll use an example from us we have something on our site called learning communications plans Ashley and I would never call that a learning communications plan because it's a marketing strategy it's a marketing approach and that is what we would call it but we have noticed that our target audience are talking about learning communications plans so we are echoing that voice back to the target audience and that's something we've got to bear in mind in LD as well and one thing I know Ash normally says it, and I'm actually shocked you haven't mentioned it so far, Ash. Calling people learners is problematic in itself, but calling them learners to them, that's a big no-no. Don't call they're not learners. It's just no, nobody identifies as a learner. Um, so that's something as well that I think if when we're thinking about our communications in L and D, we need to be considering the terminology we're using and how we're talking to our people as well. The next question was one that I absolutely loved because I could tell that this person had been following us for a while. And this person asked us, challenged us maybe, on something that we put out there quite a lot. And that's about the rule of seven. For those of you that don't know, the rule of seven is a marketing theory that says it takes somebody seeing your brand seven different times before they trust you and want to buy from you. So this person's question was, I've followed you for a while now, so I've heard you talk about the rule of seven. However, I only have email to promote my programs. I do have some other things such as webinars and information calls, but I'm not sure I'll ever be able to reach the number seven. I have no LinkedIn, no Facebook. We have Teams, but that's pretty much it. How do I overcome this and hit the rule of seven? I would say your challenge is relatively universal with um you know you everyone else here was probably nodding their heads and thinking those are pretty much the only channels that I've got to um you know it, it, I think the reality is well there's there's a twofold response I guess one is you actually have a lot more channels than you think mm. but the other is actually you don't need all the channels in the world to do great marketing you know we pretty much use LinkedIn and our podcast we have a website that people can go to, but, it, you know, our marketing strategy is quite different to what we've done in, in previous organizations. But primarily, we focus on doing a couple of channels really bloody well. 
Um, and so if you, you know, email is not dead, first of all, you know, I, I think the, the emphasis needs to be on optimizing the emails that you are sending. So thinking more about your subject lines, thinking about who you're targeting and what you're saying, considering what it looks like, what is the comms within it. I mean, sometimes we see examples of, of email comms that go out that are like, I mean, I'm doing it like that because it, they're that long. And I think, you know, we know people have short attention spans, my word, there's no way they're going to look at that. You know, so we've been playing around a lot, actually, and I don't know, it's not a discussion we've ever really had, but we've started trying to send just really short emails yeah. <laughs> to just see, I think, you know, if that impacts engagement. Um, so what I would say is, number one, start testing, playing around with with what you do have, right? So is there is there certain you know, different types of emails that you can send, you know, something really visual versus a plain text one. Does that impact anything? Um, but then I think the other side is use people as channels, targeting multiple different audience cohort groups from leadership down to learner and focusing on a top-down and a bottom-up cascade. So that means that we're actually looking at, you know, if starting conversations at the bottom and that seeding upwards, but also making sure that leadership management, some of those core blockers or potential blockers are also bought in, in different ways. We're speaking their language. We're going where they are. We're, we're adjusting our approach, depending on the audience that we're talking to. But ultimately we're trying to leverage these people as channels and amplify their, using their voice to amplify our own, I suppose. Hannah, I bet you have some other stuff you want to say. Well, I was just giggling to myself because I've still got my notes on my table from uh, the in-person training I ran a few weeks ago with L'Oreal. Um, and I actually printed them out, emails, to make them grade them, basically. And that was one that I found online. And all that is saying is, please go to the LMS. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then I printed out ones that we'd done that were plain text, that were chunked up properly had the what's in it for me and the people in the group were like we're not doing this and they admitted that they were doing the really really long emails just saying please go to the LMS or please sign up for this training it's really really easy to think oh I'm using email because I'm sending emails the art of doing email marketing really well is actually a lot more complicated than that we've actually got a blog on the matter as well about email marketing and how you can best use email marketing in L&D Thinking about it really practically. Think about your subject lines. If nobody opens the email, they're not going to do what you want them to do. So let's think about how we're getting people to open the email, how we're emphasizing really important points. You might feel like you've only got email to use, but actually are you using it to its full potential? Are we using it in the best way possible? As Ash said, we really only use two channels. So if you've only got two channels, you need to make sure that you're using them to the best possible potential that you are. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much about not having loads and loads and loads of channels. I'd worry more about actually using those channels effectively. For a split second, I actually thought we were going to get through this podcast without mentioning AI of any sort. But of course we couldn't because it's all around us right now. So our next question or statement maybe was about ChatGPT. And this person said, I've been using ChatGPT to make my emails more effective. It has been a game changer. It's allowed me to play with the text and make it more witty rather than that awkward business tone we tend to use. 
And we see that tone all the time. I think the thing with ChatGPT is as well, because this comes up a lot and, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm entirely against it for copywriting. I look at it more as like a, a seed tool, right? So if you're looking for, you know, and especially if English isn't your first language, but you have to write in English, I, I bet it's particularly yeah. helpful yeah. for you. Um, but I think, you know, from my perspective, use it as an ideas tool, you know, so like mm-hmm. go in there and ask it some questions to give you some ideas for content or how to maybe position things. But don't overlook the value of really great copywriting. You know, I'm yet to see any AI write with the talent, skill, panache, vibrancy that humans can, you know, so it can give you a good starting point. It might be able to give you some good structure um, or even just some ideas, but I would strongly suggest that you don't just take those and use those and you actually feed in your knowledge of your audience, your corporate culture, your learning landscape and the ecosystem that exists all that stuff needs to play a role. So it can be a really good kind of foundation or like the backbone, the bare bones of something, but don't forget to embellish it and add that little spice and panache to it because it is the difference between good copy and shit copy, if I'm honest. The next question touches on learner personas and how we can go about actually finding out who our target audience really is. We talk a lot at Mass about finding out who they are as human beings, looking at their motivations, their wants, their needs, their fears, their pain points. And this person's asking us how on earth we actually do that. So their question was, how do I get the information and the data about my target audiences to create personas? I understand that it's really important to understand them, but how do I actually find out that information? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many different ways to skin a cat with this. Um, And, you know, I actually just got off a kickoff call with a client back to back and and we were talking just about discovery. So quite timely. Um, (laughs) There's, so we want to get qualitative and quantitative data, first of all. So we want structured data sets and we want, you know, more kind of candid conversational type information as well. So first things and something Uh, Elvira taught me was actually you have a lot of information in your business that you don't even really realize so something I think it was her anyways and you can probably correct me something that she did is she went on the likes of Yammer the likes of Teams and kind of curate or was it Paula it was Paula it was Paula um and so they basically she basically kind of mined her existing systems for feedback and insights into audience sentiment it's all it was all there it just needed to be looked for and found so that's a really great way to get some quantitative data um qualitative data and i never remember which one's which (laughs) thank you so that that's you know don't underestimate the data sets that already exist in your business oftentimes you're not having to start from scratch you know the client I was just on a call with have like a annual employee engagement survey they have some other insights that I've done when they develop personas for their learning for like for their learning experiences some of that data can be used you know maybe not all of it some of it might be redundant but then you do need to go out and do the good work you know um talk to key stakeholders for 20 minutes, have focus groups where you ask key questions around, not just, oh, do you like learning? Again, asking the right questions to get the right answers. You know, what we want to understand from a marketing perspective is who these people are, what their challenges are, what's blocking them learning at work, because most people tell us it's time. 
but I think there's more to it. There is always more to it. There's always an underlying thing to the time answer. Time's just an easy scapegoat for a lot of people. Yes, people are probably busier than we have ever been in the workplace, but there's normally an underlying reason. Like one of the recent discovery processes I did, there was so much politics in the organisation and their poor people didn't know what to do for the best, so they just opted to just do their job just stick to what was on the job description like wasn't going to deviate and do any learning because no that that's too much and I might get in trouble it's things like that that actually come into play yes they're probably really busy with the job but is there underlying things that actually we can help alleviate with marketing Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and I think that that's that's exactly the point that's what we're trying to unearth is those pain points because hey if we talk about benefits and how our stuff remedies those pains that they're having that's certainly going to be better than a business mandate, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think ultimately it, it's it's really for us to take the time to understand and then distill down that that those findings and all that data. It's not a quick process, yeah. but it should give you so much clarity around who your audience is and, and, and actually what you should be putting in your emails and what you should be posting out in your campaigns and things like that. You know, if you don't do this work, you're operating purely on assumptions you're doing it blind and it 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 is setting you up for disaster or you know you're never going to be as successful as you can be without clear insight into who your audience is yeah I completely agree with that I think the biggest thing that I think people (laughs) don't like about creating personas and doing that discovery phase internally is the time it takes Mm. but you have to invest that time up front or you're just hoping for the best. You're just throwing stuff out there and praying, and that's not going to build a house without foundations. It's, Absolutely, you know, you, you, it, that is the foundational work that has to be there. Without that, it's sending you on a well, goose chase. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you don't really know where it's going to take you, but I, I'm certain it won't be where you want it. Where you want to be. No. We loved analogies in this session. Actually. I know, there's been a lot of them. I didn't realise we spoke in tongues. <laughs> we talk in riddles. <laughs> and the last question we had on the podcast was a super interesting one. And it was about how often we should change our marketing tactics. More specifically, the person said, how often should we be changing our strategies and tactics to get the most impact? It's a kind of interesting question because let's operate on the proviso that there is a marketing strategy in place. Um, (laughs) And usually what we would recommend is having a kind of brand strategy that maybe spans 12 to 24 months. And then there's smaller campaign initiatives that sit within that to maybe help promote specific programs that you've got, change management initiatives, whatever's kind of going on in your business and um, allowing your learning function to compensate for that. I think that there should be constant iteration with marketing. So it shouldn't just be, we built this plan and that's what we're going to do. Well, if in six months time, your business gets acquired, (laughs) you can't just keep on cracking on with the same strat, can you? So there's got to be, you know, in most strats that I've built out, particularly like when I worked vendor side, there would always be contingency, maybe 20% space for us to react to the market and do things that are a bit more reactive and and allow us that space to not just be wedded entirely to the campaigns. So I think there's got to be more of an attitude of 
iterating as you go. So especially if you are doing campaigns, put yourself some goals, establish a KPI. You know, what is success going to look like? How can we actually benchmark where we are now to where we are, you know, trying to get to? How do you even know if this was any good at all if you're not kind of at least benchmarking? So, you know, to my mind, there are small incremental wins like that, testing on emails and the such like that can, uh, you know, improve what you're doing straight away. But bigger piece stuff, you should be iterating as often as you are able to. And furthermore, if you have personas in place, these learnings should also help you further tailor and evolve your personas too, so that you're not, they're not static documents. You know, there should be living things that are changed and adjusted as things change, really. Yeah, I completely agree. I think changing them up and iterating as you go is so, so important. I also think this question kind of came from a point of, okay, so if we're sending emails, we're only sending emails. And if we're using social media, we're only using social media. And then that would get boring very, very quickly. Within your strategy and within your plan, you need to make sure you've got variety and that you're hitting people in different ways. Like the rule of sevens, hitting people seven times. That doesn't mean they need seven emails. Doesn't mean they need seven social media posts. You need to have variety in the strategy so it doesn't feel like it becomes repetitive. Of course, you then need to iterate and you need to come up with fresh messaging and you need to come up with fresh visuals that are going to grab attention. But actually changing those tactics around, if you've only got two or three channels, like we've already discussed in today's session, you've only got two or three channels. You can't just ditch one of them or find a new one. So we need to be really intentional with how we're iterating and coming up with fresh ideas within those. So I hope you've all enjoyed this podcast. I know it's been a little bit different from usual. I hope it hasn't been too disjointed for you. Um, But I didn't want to hide away those wonderful questions we were asked on the live podcast. The Ask Me Anything was a really new, different approach for us. Um, And I know that the people that joined us live got so much from the session. And I hope you have too. If you have any more questions, queries, thoughts, opinions, ponders, whatever about marketing for learning that you want to share with us or you want to talk to us about, please do not hesitate to get in touch with either myself or Ashley. We'd love talking to you guys about marketing for learning. We would do it morning, noon and night, but... To be quite honest, I think our fiancés are getting a bit fed up with it. Um, So please talk to us. (laughs) I'm joking. But absolutely, get in touch with us. If you have any queries or questions, we're always happy to talk to you guys. If you have any suggestions for topics you want covered on the podcast, please do reach out. We love hearing your suggestions and we always add them into our calendar. But if not, I guess we'll see you on the next podcast, guys. Bye.